Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's great books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 200 of the great books over the next 10 years and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each of the great books. Today, I'm going to cover The Histories by Herodotus. This is great book number 11 and book 31 for my 2023 reading list. Well, this is a great book. This is beyond most of the other books I've ever read in my life. It is a monumental achievement. It is one of Herodotus's goals. Uh, in, in this is what he states in the first paragraph of, of this work. His goal is to present his research so that human events do not fade with time. And he is successful. There, there's a lot of history that we would probably not know were it not for, for Herodotus. And so there are great books and then there are great, great books. And I would put this one in that second category of great, great books. It's not perfect, as we'll discover in this episode. But as uh, David Goggins likes to say, this is uncommon even among the uncommon. So I jumped ahead to Herodotus. I was supposed to be reading Homer right now, chronologically Homer fits before uh, Herodotus, but for two reasons, I read Herodotus first. And so the first reason is the translation that I want to read of Homer does not come out until later this month. It comes out September 26th, and that is the translation by Emily Wilson. Secondly, I, I realized, and I, I realized this earlier in the year when I was learning about Egypt, that it's helpful to, to get a lay of the land before reading some of the other works from that land. So there's, there's kind of two ways of going about this. There's chronological or informational. And I chose the informational on, on this side as opposed to reading them just in straight chronological order. So this is sort of something I'll be dealing with throughout this great books project is just which order do I read them in? I'm going to default to chronological, but in this case, I decided on informational. And I, I, I'm glad I did because I think this will actually help me get into the Iliad and the Odyssey better. Just for one kind of big reason is, is all the maps in this book and all of the discussions about the areas that I'll I'll just have a better mental model of where these things are are taking place uh, than I than I would had I not read this first. So that's just one one area. But I mean, even the the gods that are spoken of, and uh, I I just think I'm glad I read this uh, in in informational as opposed to chronological order. So I wanted to start off just reading the very first paragraph of this book just to give you an idea of what uh, of what Herodotus is is trying to do here. So. Very first paragraph, Herodotus of Halicarnassus here presents his research so that human events do not fade with time. May the great and wonderful deeds, some brought forth by the Hellenes, others by the barbarians, not go unsung, as well as the causes that led them to make war on each other. End quote. So that's how this all starts off. And, and uh, I, I want to contrast that to last week where I covered the Persians. And the, the author of the book about the Persians that I read, he, he made this comment that the per- Persian past, so the, the history of the Persians, the Persian past was transmitted through songs, 
poetry, fables, and legends. And there was a positive dislike for exact facts or specific dates, end quote. So you can contrast this, this Persian idea with, with what I just read in the first par- paragraph there by Herodotus. And you can tell that, that there's something new going on here. There's, some, there's something different. And so what is this? Let, let's just take a step back. What is Herodotus's histories? Uh, what, what's going on here? Well, this is the first history that we have in the, in the sense of, of, of a work of this magnitude and this, in this size. And uh, Herodotus is often called the father of history because of that. And so this is a, is, a, is a history written by Herodotus, a man who just had endless curiosity. And that shines through so deeply in this book. He traveled, he talked to people, and he would gather these stories from around, around Asia, from around Greece, from, from Egypt, from uh, Scythia, like all over the place. Uh, he didn't know a, a whole lot about Europe, but, uh, but, but those other areas he, he traveled in and then also would just get stories from, from people. What's, what's neat is he would tell like three different versions of a story. And he's like, you know, one group told, tells it this way and, and the other side, they tell it this way. And then there's another group, they tell it this way. And, and then he'll tell you which one he thinks is probably the most likely. And you're reading some of these and, and they're so, they're so obviously like myth, mythical or, you know, just like, there's no way it could have happened like that. Herodotus, what are you, what are you thinking? But uh, it's just funny. Cause like, he'll go through these the three different versions. And so I, I liked that aspect of it. It's not just a straight, like this is what happened. It's like, well, this is what they say happened, and this is what they say happened, and uh, so you get all these different sides of it. This 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 is a, an important distinction here. Uh, one thing that uh, the version I read had some appendices at the end, and they said that this is the first work of history as opposed to myth. And so before this time, the stories are 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 mainly about myth. Uh, and this, this, this is a shift. This is a shift into a work of history. It's also the first long work of prose, and that would be as opposed to poetry. So most of what we have in writing from Greece before is, is written as poetry. This is a work of prose. And this, it talks about the history of, of Hellas. Uh, Greece, we, we know it. Uh, we know it as Greece. The uh, the, the Hellenes they call it uh, Hellas, and that's what they, that's what they call themselves. So let me just read one one thing here, and this is in one of the appendix. His most, uh, or sorry, here we go. Uh, Hellas, uh, as as the Greeks did and continue to refer, refer to their land, was not a unified nation in Herodotus's time, but rather a country composed of many independent city-states, most of them very small. The citizens of these states all spoke Greek, but the Greek of each city-state was at least slightly different from the Greek speech of all other city-states, end quote. So that, that's kind of the, the lay of the land that we have here uh, in, when Herodotus is writing about it. This book is, is largely about the Persian Wars, and the those were roughly from 490 to 479 BC, uh, but it includes a lot of the historical buildup to get to those wars. So what started them? 
what civilizations were involved? How did this each civilization choose sides? Which sides were they on? Uh, what were their customs and, and all the, those kind of things? And in fact, right right after that first paragraph I read, it gets into the reason that these wars started. And, and Herodotus says the reasons are uh, women started getting kidnapped. And so you had these famous uh, cases of, of women getting kidnapped, and maybe it was the daughter of the king or that sort of thing. And and then uh, that made that group mad. And so they, they went to battle. And uh, that's, that's what, that's what kicked off this whole, whole book is, is a series of uh, women getting kidnapped. Let me read one um, part of another of the append- appendices in the back. And, and the reason I'm referring to these is they just kind of helped give, and I didn't read them until after I read uh, the, uh, hi- the histories, but um, they just kind of helped in, in thinking about them. And so here's, this is one of, of them towards the end. In assessing Herodotus's historical narrative, it is important to realize that this is first of all a work of literature in which imagery is manipulated and facts are tools used to advance the themes of his history, end quote. Let me go through, there's nine books that compose the histories. And here's just kind of basically what's in each of the books. The first, it begins with uh, Croesus of Lydia. Book two is about Egypt, just straight up Egypt. Uh, you learn a lot about Egypt. Very, very cool. Number three, book three is the ascension of King Darius of Persia. Book four largely centers around the Scythians, which I knew little to nothing about. I, I remember them being referenced in the New Testament. And so... I, it was cool to, to learn about them, and I actually got another book uh, just solely about the Scythians that I that I started reading as well, um, and and will finish here in the near future. Uh, but but they're fascinating people. One of the parts of this episode, I'll, I'll I'll talk a little bit about more more about them. Book five is the Ionian Revolt. Book six, the Battle of Marathon. Book seven, the Ascension of Xerxes and uh, King Xerxes of Persia, and and then the Battle of Thermopylae. Uh, that that one's the famous one where there are the three three hundred Spartans against the Persian army. Uh, it's not exactly just three hundred, but um, but yeah, book seven goes into the Battle of Thermopylae, which is just oh man, just so exciting. Books book eight, uh, you get some naval battles, and then the Battle of Salamis. I've, I've heard it pronounced uh, Salamis as well, uh, different different pronunciations of that. I'll, I'll probably just use Salamis in, in this episode. Bat- uh, and then book nine is the, the Battle of uh, Pla- Plataea and, or Pl- Plataea, and then um, the Battle of Mikali. Other authors are mentioned throughout the histories, and that's kind of neat as well. So, so a, a lot of the authors that... Um, I'll be read, reading as part of this great books project. And, and actually, I, I took a few breaks while reading the histories just to read some of these other books. The, the history, I mean, this book is huge. Uh, the version I read is, is over 900 pages with, with all the all the all that's included. And so I just took a few breaks in between. So I read uh, Hesiod, I read Sappho, and uh, and then I started that book about the the Scythians. But here are some other things that just that come up in Herodotus's histories. So here we go. 
Doubtless well-educated, Herodotus could hear poetry everywhere when he was growing up. Homer, Hesiod, and many other epics were widely performed in a good many short songs from the 6th and early 5th centuries. What, scho what scholars ca call archaic lyric poetry were in the air. Apart from Homer and Hesiod, Herodotus exhibits knowledge of Athenian tragedy and a number of lyrics by the likes of Sappho, Alcaeus, Solon, Arian, Simonides, and Pindar. He also quotes numerous oracles in verse as well as epigrams commemorating a person or place. Um, and then later on, he says he knows something of the lives of such figures as the fable composer uh, Aesop and the love poet Anacreon. And end quote. So Herodotus not only mentions a lot of these authors, but but will quote them, and and so that was that was quite neat as well. And I enjoyed kind of when they were mentioned in the book. I, I would kind of stop after that book, read that book. So like I, I read Hesiod after seeing his name in Herodotus, and then I read Sappho after seeing her name as well. And that was just kind of a neat thing as well. You know all these. It's just cool to think that of Herodotus reading reading those those same books. So quickly, who was Herodotus? Well, I mentioned before he's the father. He's known as the father of history, and he's also known as the father of eth ethnography, which is the study of of the cultures of people. Uh, what are their customs? What do, what do they do? And and that's just throughout this book. There's so many people group groups, so many I've never even heard of that that he talks about talks about their how they live, uh, some some unique things about them, and that was just absolutely fascinating. One of the, uh, the in the intro, they uh, the author of that intro s says that Herodotus's lasting achievement is this, that he changed the meaning of the word history. So the word history in, in Greek means inquiry, in, <laughs> inquiry. But now when we, when we hear the word history, we, we think of history, like what happened in the past. And the, the author of the introduction said that, that under our, our understanding comes from this book, because before it, that word just meant an inquiry. Herodotus himself, he was born under Persian rule, and he was born in Asia Minor in a place called Halicarnassus, and that is in modern-day Bodrum in southwestern Turkey. So, you know, this, this book, the major theme of this book is the clash of civilizations between Greece and Persia, and here you have an author who was born under Persian rule. So, he understood some things. He 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 would have been around. You know, he would have been under Persian rule. So neat. Just that he would have a unique viewpoint on that, and and so uh, that's where he was born. And then yeah, just this major theme throughout the book of freedom versus tyranny. And and so the Greeks are presented on the freedom side and the Persians as the, the, the tyrannical force. And as we'll see, it's not as clear cut as that, but there definitely is a clash of, of civilizations. And those two kind of ends of the extreme are, are helpful ways throughout the book, I guess, to, to kind of see where different groups of, of people, uh, where they, where they lie. The version of the book that I read is the landmark edition. And so landmark has a number of these books. So it's just called the landmark Herodotus and it's put together by Robert Strassler. Now I, I have the landmark Thucydides. I have the landmark Xenophon. 
uh, two of his books. There, there's a landmark Julius Caesar, and I think there's one other. But I would highly recommend this version. It is enormous because, but one of the reasons it's enormous is there's probably a map every every fifth page or or 10th page. And that is so helpful because Herodotus just kind of jumps around, but especially like for the the battles and the naval battles and the land battles, you, but to have the map right there, and then to have a map that only lists the names of the places that are mentioned is so helpful. Like I, I would have been lost in this book without having all those maps. There are also pictures of, um, just different artifacts that they've found that of, of things that Herodotus is talking about. Um, there are a ton of footnotes. Footnotes were so helpful. Uh, it, yeah, I, I got a lot out of that. And then just like on the side too, there's kind of just recaps, like here's what goes on in this, this paragraph uh, with a, a ton of space in each of the margins to, to write your own notes. It was translated by Andrea Purvis, this version. And uh, so you've got the, this large introduction You've got the histories with all of the notes and maps and, and all that. And then you've got 21 appendices. And those range from Greek religion to oracles to the histories themselves, uh, all, all sorts of things that were very helpful in understanding. And I, and I waited to read those until afterward. But, um, but, but yeah, those are very helpful. The other, the other big thing here is that Herodotus got a lot wrong. He got a tremendous amount right, but he got a lot wrong. And it's helpful just to see kind of in the footnotes, you know, this, this, uh, Herodotus has got this wrong. This is, th- these were the actual numbers or th- this is what actually happened or, you know, based on, uh, uh, other works or archeological information, you know, here, here's what we know, uh, of, of where Herodotus has got it wrong. So that, that's just kind of helpful to know because I, I would read some things and be like, oh man, this is incredible. And then find out later that, 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 that was not true. Um, but it would actually lead me, lead me on these, these mind goose chases. But, uh, but yeah, it, it was just nice for me to know, I guess that, that, um, where it was and, and wasn't, uh, correct. Just for a quick, uh, kind of initial response. I, I loved this book. I, I was enraptured the entire time. Um, I'll get into this more later in this episode, but th- this this is like my favorite kind of book. Um, I had never heard of most of these people groups. I'd never heard of most of these places. I learned things uh, that, that, yeah, they're just just amazing. But then I read a lot of things too that I've that that I've heard my whole life. And this is the source of those things. So that, that was really cool as well. Uh, initial response just to Herodotus himself. Like I loved how he would just skip around and he would chase after these, these rabbit holes. He would just, he would eventually come back to the story, but he'd be like, he would, he would go down this path and then he'd divert over here in a, a somewhat related thing, maybe about a people group that was, he was talking about, and then that would lead to something else and then something else. And so you just see this, this like endlessly curious man traveling, talking to people. And this is what comes of this, like just this endless curiosity. It, it reminded me of, um, 
Einstein and, and uh, Walter Isaacson's book about Einstein, just this, this endless curiosity, and, and also uh, his book about Leonardo da Vinci, and what set those men apart is just that curiosity. But I, I saw that in Herodotus as well. And, and you just see it come through, you, you, you can see it's not this boring history of this happened, and then they went here, and then this happened, and then this, they went here. Uh, no, it's really exciting. And then just the way he writes about it, it you, you just see so much personality in it. Uh, he's a master storyteller, but he's just, he's recalling the adventures of his travel. You, you almost, you almost feel like he's your, your travel buddy along this, this path. Um, and then part of what makes this exciting as well is that, I, I mean, in our modern world, like you, you could travel, you could go on a 24 hour plane ride and, and land in some city and the city would kind of look there'd be a lot of things that you recognize. There'd be a lot of similarities to what you know, uh, whether it's just like how a hotel is set up or, or uh, um, even some of the same restaurants or you'd see some of the same brands and that kind of thing. But when when Herodotus is traveling around here, like he's going to these people groups that are like, everything is different. Everything is different. And he's telling about these things. He's telling about these customs, and it's so—it's just fun to to read about those. Uh, so I found I found the whole book fascinating. It's it's in my top ten of books of all time that I've ever read, uh, and and I think it'll hold that place for for a while. It, it would take a lot to uh, kick this book out of that uh, out of the top ten. For reading stats, this was a nine hundred and six page book. And again, that's the intro, the nine books of the histories, and then the 21 appendices. And then uh, time-wise, it took me 35 hours and 40 minutes to read. I know that is nerdy, but just anytime I sit down to read, I've got an app. I just hit the button and... and I, I like to track how long it takes me to read these books. And mainly that's because I like to... Well, I just like to know, but then I, I like to share it so that you might... You know how, how long it might take you. Uh, and and I, I went through my... Um, I, I'm a nerd. I, I went through my spreadsheet and I looked at some of the other books that were around this sort of a time frame. And, and The Path to Power by Robert Caro, that, w- that one took 31 hours. The Civil War, Volume 1 by Shelby Foote took me 37 hours. Don Quixote was the closest. It took me 35 hours and 54 minutes. So that was the closest to this Herodotus of 35 hours and 40 minutes. Uh, but it obviously one of the longer books that I that I've read. And again, the appendices and the introduction took a while. Um, so that that 35 hours is not just the histories, but um, a, a good portion of it is. For this great books plus project, I'm, I'm trying to read an ancillary book along with the main great book just to, to help me in understanding. So some sort of a guidebook just to, to give more context. I did not do that for for Herodotus's histories and mainly just because the the version of the book, this landmark version that I, I chose is, is so robust that this was kind of my guidebook. It was, it was just kind of a uh, everything in one. So I, I treated the intro and the appendices as as my guidebook for for this one. Um, with this being such a, a large book, this episode will remain pretty high level. And so I'm just kind of going to cover the the main things that stuck out from from this book. So there'll be two more segments. Segment two coming up next, I'll cover some uh, common themes, what stuck out, and then what blew my mind. And then in segment three, I'll cover the one thing that I um, that that has me thinking after reading the histories by Herodotus. Thank you. 
Well, Herodotus makes a lot of awesome comments throughout the, the book, throughout this writing. And one that stuck out to me was this one, all things are possible in the long course of time. I want to start off segment two here, just talking about some common themes that are throughout the history. So if, if you have read them or if uh, you, you want to read the histories, these are th- some things to, to look out for. You'll, you'll see them come up quite a few times. And the first is oracles, uh, but then further to that are misinterpreted oracles. So oracles are, are kind of sayings from the gods of perhaps a direction you should take. And, and so the, uh, so might be the scenario where uh, a, a, a group is thinking, you know, do we go to war or not? And this is a big decision, you know, lives are on the line. Uh, what what should we do? And so they'll go consult an oracle like the one at Delphi. And they'll, they'll, they'll ask, and the oracle will come back and oftentimes it is ambiguous and it is obscure and it's hard to understand. And so then they'll talk about it, you know, what does this mean? And then maybe some wise person in that, that group will, will say, Hey, this is actually what this means. Uh, but they, but then even they'll get it wrong. And there's this famous example of, uh, uh, Croesus where it, it, the oracle comes back and it says, if, if Croesus were to wage war against the Persians, he would destroy a great empire. And so uh, Croesus, he takes that to mean that he, if he attacks the Persians, he will destroy the Persians. But uh, the oracle is actually the other way around, and he would destroy a great empire. He ends up destroying his own empire by waging war against the Persians. So that, that's the kind of oracles you have where... Uh, you may go in with with your mindset of this is wow this this is exactly what I was thinking this is perfect I, I like this oracle but uh, if you don't think about it perhaps the other way that it was meant uh, you can get into trouble so you see oracles throughout the histories you see people misinterpreting them throughout the histories and it's just kind of a fun thing to to see happen throughout um, another common theme is just the the idea of freedom versus tyranny on one level, but then uh, kind of expanded from that, just different types of governments that that these groups of people can have, these civilizations. And so the three are mentioned, there's the, there's a monarchy, there's an oligarchy, and then democracy. And so um, there'll be discussions of like the, the, the relative pros and cons. So you, you almost have like a, it, it almost feels more like a, a a book by Plato than a book of history at, at times, just because because there'll be people talking about these different ideas, and it, and it has more of that philosophical feel than than a than a literature or or a history uh, feel. So I, I I liked that. I thought that was that was pretty pretty neat. But what what's interesting in this freedom versus tyranny dis- distinction is that it's not very clear cut. Uh, it's 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 presented as clear cut in in some sense to where the Greeks are for freedom and then the Persians are trying to, to take away that freedom. Uh, but there's people on the Greek side that they're not exactly bastions of freedom either. So you've got Sparta uh, and then you've got um, during the Persian Wars, there's a lot of Greek city states that would go to the Persian side. And yes, granted, a lot of that was by force. But as, as we learned last week in the Persia book, Persian rule was was sometimes quite open to different rulers and like even rulers continuing on. And so uh, 
yeah, it, it wasn't just this clear cut, like Persians on this side, Persians bad, Greeks good. Uh, it, it wasn't just like that. There was a lot of space in, in the middle there. Um, but one of the points of Herodotus and, and one of the, uh, another, I guess, common theme here is that the, the type of government impacted everything and, and yeah, no, no kidding, but this is how it would impact thing. Uh, Herodotus talks a lot about the quality of soldiers. And he said that soldiers fighting for a cause or fighting to protect their homeland, they are going to be better soldiers. They're, you're going to have a better quality of soldier fighting for a cause than you are one fighting by force. Uh, there's a there's one battle here where in in this book where the the Persians are driving forward the fighters, their fighters, with a whip. So there's there's like people behind the soldier. The soldiers are scared. They're they're wanting to run away. But if they run away, they're going to be running into these whips. So it's like they had to be forced. They had to be whipped into battle just to fight. Uh, and you compare that with the Spartans who were fighting for a cause, uh, well trained, all that. So you, you you have these distinctions throughout. But it's but it's tied back to the type of government of a, of a free fighter versus uh, a fighter that is forced by by a tyranny and then the other side of that this is is there's so many different uh people groups there's so many different uh groups groups and civilizations that we're we're looking at here and one thing that keeps coming up all over or, or over and over is that if one of these city states is run by a tyranny they are more likely to side with persia so in Persia, on, on their side, would keep that tyranny in place a lot of the times. So in, in one of the appendices, uh, it's, this, it's stated like this, Greek tyrants in the 6th century are dangerous, primarily because they often bring Persian overlordship with them, end quote. So it, it, wasn't, just, uh, it wasn't just Persia being the tyranny, but a lot of these Greek city-states were, were tyrannical as well. But if they were tyrannical, they were more likely to side with Persia than if the, these Greek city-states were, uh, were free. Another another idea here is that for he really must act this way. He is, after all, a tyrant who is assisting another tyrant. So again, just this this idea of if 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 someone is is leading it, uh, if if they are the the king and they are a, t- a tyrant, they are going to assist other tyrants. And so you just kind of you have this spread one way or the other. The other common theme is one I mentioned in the last segment, but just this, this overarching inquisitiveness of the author. And I, I, I just, I find it fascinating. I, I can't believe this, a book of this size survived and it was copied early. Uh, apparently in, in the library of Alexandria, this, this was, it, it was there. And then it had just, it just kept getting copied throughout the ages and through the middle ages until we had the printing press and then, and then it could be, could be printed from then on. But it, it was just, it was copied over and over from the early times. And we are so fortunate to, to have this, but I mean, you look at other uh, reading Sappho um, and in some of her poems, we have one word from the poem and here you've got, you've got what, 700 something pages of history. And that's just incredible. And so, uh, but, but tying back to this author of just this, he's so inquisitive and, oh, it was, it was so cool, but he, he, he presents, um, 
a relatively balanced view of other cultures in in the sense i mean you, you could argue that okay it's there's greek and then there's barbarian so you know it's pretty black and white there but like on the other hand he he goes into these other cultures and and he do, he does want to know uh it's not just like everything the greeks do is good and then everything the barbarians do is is bad or or dumb it's it's like no he's he's wanting to understand he's wanting to to learn and so you just see that throughout the book you you see that about all the cultures that he comes into contact with uh, next thing I want to cover here is is just the what stuck out. What are what were the the things that uh, that I put a star next to or, or that uh, that really that really hit me. So I'm going to just read some of these. Some of these are just things that I um, I probably heard another place, and so seeing them in the original context was was really cool. And so the first one is just. Um, uh, Sol- Solon talking about happiness, and he's talking with uh, Croesus, and Croesus thinks he's the happiest man out there. And then, um, so he, I'm just going to kind of skip around in this section. As Solon spoke at length about Telus's happiness and prosperity, he spurred Croesus to ask further who might be the next most happy man. Croesus was altogether certain he would win at least second place, but Solon said, Clebus and Bitten. And, uh, so the, uh, uh, I'll end the quote there for a minute. So Croes is a, is a little perturbed by that. He was thinking Solon would say that he's one of the happiest. And so then we skip ahead and we get to this, this part. Uh, and uh, all these days in the 70 years add up to 26,250 and, and any one of these days brings with it something completely like the other. And so this is Solon talking. And so Croesus, human life is pure chance. You seem to be very wealthy and you rule over many people, but you cannot tell, but I cannot tell you the answer you asked for until I learn how you have ended your life. You see, the man who is very wealthy is no more happy and prosperous than the man who has only enough to live from day to day, unless good fortune stays with him and he retains his fair and noble possessions right up until he departs this life happily. End quote. I just, I just remember, I remember that reading about this in, I believe it was the first year of this Books of Titans project. I don't recall the book, but they, they quoted this and they, they said, you, you can't, you can't judge a person until you see how they die. You, you need to see the entire life. Uh, you need to see the full direction of someone's life to, to be able to, to, to make that distinction. Um, next up, we've got, this is one of my, the things that, that I love about uh, Herodotus. So let me just read this. This uh, It's a short paragraph here. After Cyrus had subjected all the mainland of Asia to his rule, he attacked the Assyrians. There are no doubt many great cities of Assyria, but the strongest and most notable was Babylon, where the royal palace was established after the overthrow of Nineveh. Let me describe what the city is like. End quote. And I mean, go ahead, Herodotus, tell us what Babylon is like. I would, I would please do find sir. I mean, just, but that is just amazing. So you, and, and there's debate if, if he actually went to Babylon or not, um, or just kind of heard about it from other people, but, but then he proceeds to tell you what Babylon was like. And it's this, this good long description of Babylon. And it's just fascinating. But I mean, like, what else do we have? Not, not a whole lot. What else do we have where somebody is walking into Babylon and, and just says, Hey, let me, let me describe to you what Babylon was like. And just, just goes at it. 
awesome. All right, so here's one thing where uh, apparently Herodotus got it wrong. I'm going to read this. this is about the this, so this is book two when we're talking about the Egyptians. Uh, by making inquiries, I discovered that the names of the gods came to Hellas from barbarians, and I myself concluded that they derive specifically from Egypt, for the names of the gods have been known in Egypt since the earliest times. End quote. And then he he goes on to talk about some of the different gods. And so um, Herodotus is saying that the Greek the Greeks got their gods from Egypt, and what I read later is that that's not true. Uh, a lot of a lot of the gods did that they they were from Greek or from Greece, and so. But but the thing that I did see was that a lot of the of, of the Greek gods were in a lot of these other cultures that Herodotus writes about, and in a lot of these different people 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 groups. So even like the Scythians, they would have some of the same gods or, um, uh, in, in, in Egypt, they, they had the same gods and they would call them different things. And, and then in, um, I, I'm reading mythology by Edith Hamilton right now, and, and she talks about the names of the gods in Greek and then what those same gods' names are in Latin. So, uh, what they would have been in Rome and, uh, that, that's just really interesting to me. And, and it kind of got me on a, on a rabbit trail of, of wanting to, to read more. And, and that's one reason I stopped reading the histories and read Hesiod uh, in his Theogony, because that's the, the birth of the gods. And, and that book describes 300 of the different Greek gods and, and where they came from. And I, because I was thinking, okay, I, if, if these are the same gods that are in Egypt, they just have different names, then I need to know who these gods are. And then, um, you know, just kind of make a list of what they're called in Egypt, what are they called in Greece, and what are they called in in uh, Rome later on. So um, I've kind of been doing that, and especially with this this reading Hesiod, and then now reading this uh, book, uh, Greek mythology. I, I'm getting a grasp on it of of who who are the main gods and all that. But this really sparked it when I when I came across book two here in in this section on Egypt, and it's one of those things where Herodotus got it wrong, but but it's one of those where it it sparked my interest in in wanting to to learn more. Um, there's another section here on customs and and one what uh, customs people like best. So let me read this. So strongly. Oh, so, okay, here. For if someone were to assign to every person in the world the task of selecting the best of all customs, each one, after thorough, thorough consideration, would choose those of his own people. So strongly do humans believe that their own customs are the best ones. Uh, and, then he, and then he gives these examples, which which are just awesome. During his reign, Darius summoned the, the Hellenes at his court and asked them how much money they would accept for eating the bodies of their dead fathers. They answered that they would not do that for any amount of money. Later, Darius summoned some Indians called Kalatai, who do eat their dead parents. In the presence of the Hellenes, with an interpreter to inform them of what was said, he asked the Indians how much money they would accept to burn the bodies of their dead fathers. They responded with an outcry, ordering him to shut his mouth, lest he offend the gods. Well then, that is how people think. And so it seems to me that Pindar was right when he said in his poetry that custom is king of all. End quote. That was just cool. I mean, for, for him to go to all these different people groups and then make that, make that statement that, you know, if you ask... If you ask the Greeks to eat their 
parents, they, they would be aghast. Uh, but if you ask the Indians to burn their parents uh, when they're dead, they would be aghast. And, and uh, so that was funny. Uh, next up, the gold gathering ants. And uh, this, this is just awesome. So there are these huge ants and they, during the day, they or, or not, yeah, they, they gather up gold from the ground and, and bring it up to the top. But these, uh, these ants, so now in the desert of sand live huge ants, smaller than dogs, but larger than foxes. And some of these ants were captured and brought to the Persian court. The ants in India make their dwellings underground by molding up the sand just as ants do in, in Hellas. But, uh, and, and they also look very much the same. But here the mounded sand contains gold. But uh, so and end quote. So they would go to get this gold because it's like free picking for for the gold. But the ants would attack them, so they had to wait till the ants were sleeping, and they would use camels uh, and and kind of like go under the camels, grab the gold, get out of there before the ants woke up, uh, or else lest they be attacked. And it was just so so funny. Uh, you know, who knows if this was true or not, um, or if there were huge ants or where this story came from, but just one of the delightful things of, of going through this book. Next up, Philippides. Uh, when I lived in Atlanta, there was a running store called Philippides. And so here is uh, some information about Philippides. The first thing the generals did while still in the city was to send a message to Sparta by dispatching a herald named Philippides, who was an Athenian long-distance runner and a professional in this work. Now, Philippides reported, and, uh, and so then he run, and, and so they had him run, and uh, he did it in two days. So here, so after Philippides had been sent off by the generals, and as he claimed Pan had appeared to him, he arrived in Sparta on the day after he had left Athens. And quote, so that, that distance is 150 miles. So he did a 150-mile a, a run in two days, and that is Philippides. Now, what is the mark of a superior man? Let's find out. The mark of a superior man would be to feel fear as he makes his plans, considering everything that could happen to him, and yet be able to act boldly when the time for action arrives. End quote. That is brilliant. Next up, uh, um, afflictions. So here we go. This much I do know. If every human being should collect his afflictions and bring them together in public, intend intending to exchange them for those of his neighbors, each one would stoop down to examine the afflictions of others, but would then gladly carry the way away the ones he had brought there himself. End quote. Now we get into the start of the battles, and now we're talking... Uh, the Persians are sending people to the Athenians to try to get them to surrender. And here is how the Athenians respond. Nevertheless, we shall defend ourselves however, however we can in our devotion to freedom. As long as the sun continues on the same course as it now travels, we shall never come to an agreement with Xerxes. It even goes further. If you have not learned it before, as long as even one Athenian still survives, we shall make no agreement with Xerxes, end quote. I think he probably got the point after that. All right, here are four things that blew my mind in the histories of Herodotus. 
So the first is the Scythians. And as I mentioned before, I did not know a whole lot about the Scythians. So everything I was reading about them was just utterly fascinating. But this has to have, uh, this has to be the top. <laughs> this, this, this takes the cake. So, uh, their customs, so this, this is about the Scythians now, their customs concerning war are, are as follows. Whenever a Scythian slays his first man, he drinks some of his blood. He brings the heads of all those he slays in battle back to the king. And by bringing back a head, he receives a share of whatever plunder he has taken, has been taken. But if he does not bring back a head, he receives nothing. Now here's what he does with the head that he takes back. He flays the head by first cutting off. Uh, I won't go into how he does it, but then once he scrapes it out and works the skin in his hand until he has softened it, after which he uses it as a handkerchief, which he proudly attaches to the bridle of his horse, end quote. So he flays the skin off of the head and uses it as a handkerchief. Okay, it, it gets better. That is what they customarily do with the skins. They treat the skulls, not all of them, but those of their most hated enemies in the following way. Uh, if... if so this is what he does on the inside as well. And the skull is then used as a drinking cup, end quote. So they will take the skulls, they, they, they slice them a certain way, turn them upside down, and then they use the skulls of their enemies as their drinking cups. The Scythians. That, that, that's amazing. That, that's amazing. That blew my mind. Um, the next up, the units of Xerxes' army. So this was just, I mean, this is just unbelievable. Uh, Herodotus goes through page after page after page. I mean, I'm, I'm flipping pages and it is talking about the army of Xerxes. But he's, ta he's talking about the units of the army of, of, of the units in Xerxes' army. And they are from all over the world. I mean, the, the, the world around that area. They are from Asia. They're from Egypt. They're, they're from all over, but they, I'm, I'm just going to start reading some of the people groups. I had not heard of very many of these people groups. And these are the peoples fighting in, in the Persian army. But you just, just think about it. You've got this large army coming at you and you look out and there are just multitudes of different people groups in this army with different weapons, different attire, and you are about to do battle with this. I mean, that must have been so terrifying. But let me read, just let me read some, and you'll recognize, I mean, some of these are, are big ones, but I'm, I'm going to get into ones that you probably have not heard of. All right, so first off, obviously, there's Persians in the Persian army. There's Medes, there's Akissians, there are Assyrians, Bactrians, Indians, Arayans, Parthians, Sogdians, Dodekai, Gandarians, uh, and that's just one, that's just two pages. You've got Audians, Caspians, Arabians, Ethiopians, Armenians. Uh, it just goes on. I can't even pronounce the, not that I'm good at pronouncing anyway, but I can't even, I can't even sound out some of these. And then you're learning about them, how they dressed, what weapons they carried. Um, 
I, it's just, it's incredible. And then, and then who was the general of each of these different groups and how would they pair different groups together? I mean, this, this set of like 10 pages or so going through the different units is actually, I think it was 20 pages. It, it blew my mind. It was incredible. Next up, the third thing that blew my mind was the battle of Thermopylae. And you know it, you've seen the movies, but to read about it was just incredible. And Herodotus, so the uh, Battle of Thermopylae is where you had the 300 Spartans. And uh, Herodotus makes this statement. I have learned the names of all three, 300 of them. And so he's talking about the 300 Spartans, and he learned the name of all 300 of those Spartans. So that's, that's Herodotus saying that. Uh, he was so interested in this battle, so curious as to, to how it went down that he learned all 300 names of the Spartans that died there. Last thing that blew my mind, uh, you probably know this, but I did not. I'm just going to read this. After Mardonius had re read the oracles, he sent Alexandros of Macedon, the son of uh, uh, Amintas as a messenger to Athens because the Persians were related to Alexandros by marriage. End quote. Alexandros of Macedon is, he, I think he's two away from um, Alexander the Great. And I did not know this, but he was related to the Persians in marriage, which is quite fascinating given later history where Alexander the Great conquers Persia, and you have Persia no more. And they were somehow related. So that that blew my mind. That, that was the uh, final thing that, that blew my mind. So now uh, we'll, we'll close out this segment. And then in the next segment, I'll go through the one thing and then just kind of give a recap of the histories by Herodotus. Well, how do you sum up a book like this, of this magnitude? I mean, there's so many different things I could have covered as the one thing that I'm I'm thinking about after this book. But the the thing I'm going to go to is is what I learned about the type of book that I like to read, and I'm going to compare this to J.R.R. Tolkien and The Lord of the Rings. Now, it 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 took me a while to get into The Lord of the Rings, and part of it was I was reading it as though it were fantasy. And it is fantasy and probably should read it as fantasy, but I but I had a friend challenge me to read it as if it was true. And I think the reason that helped me was I was I was looking at it as ridiculous in the sense of why 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 get into this world? Why learn about these different characters and these different groups of people and animals and, and creatures and all sorts of things? Why why learn about this if it's not going to apply in any other reading that I do? And I know that's a, a silly way to look at it, but that I always have that in the back of my mind when I'm reading works of fantasy. And and when I'm reading works of fantasy, I'm coming across different people groups that I'm I'm learning about for the first time because they, they just don't exist anywhere else. When I read the histories, I had that same thought, but with the difference being that these people groups actually existed. And I like that so much more. I like reading works like this, like Herodotus, just to imagine. I mean, you could spend 
just thinking about one of these groups of people that he mentions and their their customs and how they do things and how they prepare for battle and what they do before battle, what they wear in battle, what weapons they've they've chosen, how they bury their dead, all these different things about all these people. And and for all I know, they're they're just a made up group. It, but it has that same feel of like, oh, okay, here's another people group and some crazy name I can't even pr- even pronounce. But it was so cool just to to think like, man, these people lived right here at this time in history. We don't know much about them. Perhaps we wouldn't know much of anything were it not for Herodotus. I say that all t- that this this is the kind of book that I love, that the histories by Herodotus. There, this happened, and yes, Herodotus is mixing kind of myth and history and things that happened and hearsay and uh, he's mixing all sorts of things here but these people groups existed and the people he's talking about existed and to me it just gives so much more depth to what i'm reading about and so i loved that i i know it's kind of a silly thing or a weird thing to to cover as the one thing from this book of, of just so many great things that I could have pulled, but that that's the thing I'm still thinking about a lot is just how much I enjoyed this. And, and I guess it just gave me words to compare this type of a book compared to uh, a work of fantasy and, and why I like these books so much more. So just a, a little bit of a recap here. This book, Herodot- uh, Histories by Herodotus, it's a, it's a book about the historical, about the mythical, and kind of the gray areas in between. It's a book about epic battles, large movements of people, people groups, and uh, individual decisions. It's a mystical look at how oracles shaped history, whether they were properly understood or not. And it is so well written that it's surprising how easy it is to understand complex battles and historic changes. It's relatable. Uh, you, You almost get the sense that Herodotus is your overeager travel buddy and he's he's taking you along on this journey with him he's taking you on a tour of ancient times and he leaves you wanting more and that is that is such it is such a gift that we have this book this is one of the most amazing books i've ever read it was exhilarating i felt like i was reading a work of fantasy but it was true. All of these people groups and customs and these battles. And, and yes, there are problems with Herodotus. He didn't get, every, get everything right. I, I understand that. But uh, this happened. This, we're, this, this is the father of history. This is, this is kind of where our history starts. I, I loved that. Uh, I, I loved this book. I hope you, if you haven't read it, I hope you give it a chance at some point in your life. May, um, Get the landmark edition if you can because of the maps, because of the footnotes and the pictures throughout the book. I think it'll really help in your understanding of the book, in your your deep dive into the histories. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I would love to hear from you. From you. you can email me at eric at Books of Titans. Eric with a K, so E-R-I-K at booksoftitans.com. Let me know what you thought of this episode or any of the other ones. If you have read the histories and you got something out of it that you want to share or something that I missed, uh, maybe I pronounced something so brutally horribly that you you would like to tell me about that, 
please go ahead. I, I know I have uh, horrible pronunciation skills. So uh, you can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And please go to the website as well. I have my great books list there. And I also have kind of the great books plus in the sense of the guidebooks that I'm pairing with, with the great books. Well, I will be back in a week or two talking about another book from this year's reading list. And until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out. Mm-hmm.